of Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Anchor. Go download the Anchor app to listen to Beers, Business, and Balls and thousands of other podcasts today. This is episode 64. I'm Jake, and that's Will. And it's October, finally. Baseball is in the air. Football is in the air. Uh, we're talking a little shop today about the wild card, among some other things. And now is really where you have to buckle down in your sports watching um, you know, days, I guess. You have to decide what it is you're going to watch, if you're going to do the three setup on the TV and have baseball on one. And it's playoff baseball, too. This, is, this shit is where it gets really exciting. Playoff baseball, some competitive football. Uh, hockey starts next week. Basketball is in the near future. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the big leagues. It's the big leagues. Professional sports in the fall couldn't beat it. And uh, we got a great playoff baseball guest today. Uh, Yankees Twitter's very own Nick Costanzo. Stanzo, also known on Twitter. And um, we're just talking shop about our Yankees. Is this is going to be a, either an exciting podcast come Wednesday or a disappointing one come Wednesday. That's You'll know on Twitter either way funny. what our reactions are. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, we're either going to be miserable and be like, why the fuck did we have faith in this team? Or we'll be like, I told you assholes. I knew that all along. Um, and there's no in between, you know, I'm fully prepared for both outcomes. I'm prepared to have the Yankee season end on Tuesday night. And I'm also prepared to see them go to the World Series. So bring it on. We've reached the point where like past week four in football, I'm just ready for anything at this point. Throwing some hockey in there. Fuck it. Maybe some NBA. But I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, we'll talk about more about balls and other sports and with stands up, but we'll do a rapid fire ever after. Uh, let's just start positive, I guess. Let's just start with some beer. <laughs> um, yeah, beer. Beer is uh, obviously, you know, the, the cornerstone of our show. We start every show with beer. Um, you want to go first? Uh, you can go first. Cool. Excellent. I, this is unfamiliar territory. I haven't gone first in like a few months. <laughs> um, I'm to find, yeah, I'm trying to find one that I've had that was uh, worthy. worthy. Yeah, I, and I don't really know that this is worthy. Um, I've talked about Bad Sons a ton. And listen, Bad Sons is about 15 minutes from where I grew up. It is an excellent place for a brewery. The vibes are immaculate. Um, went there with, of course, our TikTok famous friend, Connor, uh, con underscore spiracy, and then our own house member, uh, Clubfoot Jim. Did a little trivia. Uh, we think we came in third. We didn't really win anything, which sucks because it was only the first and second place that get prizes. Um, Every time I go to Bad Sons, I feel like the beer is just stagnant. It just stays where it is. And that really sucks for uh, a place that has, you know, so much potential. It's in a great physical area, Derby, Connecticut. Um, I was pleasantly surprised when I went back there. Golden Ticket, uh, you would like this a lot. It is a fruited sour it is very bright. I'm not sure what hops they use, but it was uh, very fruity. I tasted mango, some citrus, um, kind of like a clementine kind of vibes. And I liked it a lot. I will give it a 375. The can art was very good as it usually is at Bad Sons. And, you know, I'm, I, I think this was about the last day that I'll do a sour for a while. It's getting, uh, we're around the corner to dark beer season. We talked about pumpkin beer last week. Um, I imagine we're going to do something on red ales and all the holiday shit down the road, but I, I'm not ready to make the jump yet. So ease me in, give me a sour, uh, three, seven, five for bad sons. All right. Not bad. Not bad. I am going to a beer that I grabbed from Nikki's liquor store in Providence. Uh, shout out to them because they have a huge variety. I mean, they, knock it out of the park. You can buy the beer singly. They divide it by state and style. They have thousands of selections. This one struck my eye. It's a little interesting. It's a partnership or a collab with Snyder Pretzels. It's a Snyder beer, uh, Pretzel Marzen. Um, the name speaks for itself. It's literally um, that German style Marzen beer, but the wheat comes from like the pretzel flavor. It's perfect for that Oktoberfest season, which is now coming to an end. 
a little unfortunate we didn't get to go to any Oktoberfest uh, this time around, but the fall just got way too busy. Um, but we could still drink the beer. It was interesting. A little bit on the darker side, a little bit of that grainy, weedier flavor. But when you see a Snyder's Pretzer logo and you're at a liquor store, you're like, that's kind of interesting. Um, three, seven, five out of five for me. Solid middle of the road. I think the uh, collaboration is interesting. And if breweries start or like the bigger ones start, uh, you know, doing collabs with, you know, well-known foods, I think that's just great for the industry. I think that's just like, I love when Harpoon does Dunkin' stuff. Um, even if their beer is not like, you know, the biggest to write home about because it's over, you know, commercialized and stuff. But I still think that's so cool. Um, having that name brand association just made me buy it. Um, but the beer was fine. I mean, again, you have to be, it has to be an acquired taste for Marzen and the German style and have it more like weed and grainy, but three, seven, five out of five. That is from Captain Lawrence Brewing Company in Elmsford, New York. They have, this is important stuff. They have 999,906 total check-ins. So wow. they're 94 check-ins away from a million. So I'm not saying I want to sandbag. I might need to though. I might need to go get this, sandbag it and keep a close eye on it. But with my luck, I'm just going to miss the million. <laughs> That's you should get, I, I know a few months ago we had a conversation on like, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool how these brands interact with people on, on Instagram and on tap and stuff. They should really be doing something for the millionth check-in. They should get like a bunch of free beer. I remember, um, untapped it was either like 10 million or a hundred million no it had to be more than 10 million if they've it had to have been maybe even it was a billion it was like the x amount of check-ins and they were having like a whole like parade and celebration about it and some random dude got it wasn't even paying attention like that's kind of wild it's like yeah a lot of freaking people use untapped and it's like if the beer scene it's already such a interesting community and vibe anyway it's like utilize the people on untapped because like they're taking time out of their day to use the app and rate the beer it's like you can just it's just easy marketing it's easy because i i compare it to the stuff that like tiktok does it's so crazy how many people get famous on tiktok just from like interacting with brands i don't know if you've seen the one girl it's like a clear satire but she was just like I graduated from college with a graphic design degree and like, I'm going to start reworking like companies logos and she just like makes fun of it, but she did one. It was like the Detroit lions, but her accent made it sound like lines. And she literally just had a bunch of, it was like six lines and said Detroit on it. And, she, and like, she's like making fun of like the whole like TikTok scene, but brands, I mean, Amazon. Amazon used her logo and it was just like a green Amazon spelt wrong on a box. And they made like a whole video that was on their website, McDonald's, uh, Chubby's, you name it. But like she got famous because the brands were just interacting with her and just like sending her on these excursions and stuff. Like the brands on TikTok are doing it right. If the beer scene does that and untapped, it would just like blow up the scene completely. Yeah. You want to hear so like so you and I have been doing this for a year and a half now, two years or so. If you want something that is going to sum up this industry, you know how many check-ins of those are unique? 297,000. <laughs> so like the same, there's a chunk of people, basically a third of those beer drinkers are routine, which wow. I think is hilarious. Actually, wow. does that make it two-thirds? That might make it two thirds of those beer drinkers are unique. I don't know, not math guys, but that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of craft beer drinkers there. That's two hundred thousand. Yeah, Captain I, Captain Lawrence too. It's like it's not like I mean, it's a I've had I've had a few of their beers, so you know nothing to write home about, but I didn't think it was that uh that big. Captain Lawrence does Citra Dreams Hazy IPA and they do Orbital Tilt. I'm not sure what else stands out for Captain Lawrence, but I, I like we've had them before. Citra Dreams is that like green one. They've Hop Commander. That's another one. Um, I'm pretty sure I've had Liquid Gold too. Mm, sounds familiar. 
Yeah, it's a it's a pretty popular brand, but uh, go check them out. You can find those at Nikki's Liquors in Providence. Uh, no free ads, so no more plugs other than go get the Nikki's Liquors. Um, let's go to business now. And you'd have to be living in a, under a rock to not know what happened on Monday. Uh, if you're like me, you logged on to Instagram or Facebook and said, all right, what the hell is going on? I can't load the comments. I can't see new stories, that kind of stuff. Went on for 10, 15 minutes. You look it up on the outage tracker and it's like, is, is one of these sites down or both of them down? Turns out, Facebook had an outage on their servers, and this comes with very suspicious timing for a lot of reasons. Uh, the director of security went on CNBC just a few hours later or earlier to defend an accusation that Facebook prioritizes profit over safety and among many other things. There's a lot of conspiracies going on at Facebook right now. Um, next thing you know, the whole platform's down, all their internal systems are down, and their stock crumbles uh, you wrote a pretty interesting blog to summarize it today, Will, and it's like one of those things where, you know, this can happen so quickly um, and no one even knew what the fuck went down, basically. Yeah, I just find it very, very fishy. It's like, you know, you have Facebook, this giant conglomerate, this giant media empire, you know, they own obviously the Messenger, Instagram, WhatsApp, it's like, having that be an outage okay you know it happens and i saw online that like or on twitter that a bunch of uh, companies online were having outages zoom microsoft whatever but facebook was obviously the big one it's just so ironic and it does not make sense to me you have obviously the ongoing lawsuits with the ftc um and then like all their acquisitions and they're telling and facebook is saying to throw those lawsuits out Long story short, the lawsuits were about them purchasing uh, Instagram and WhatsApp to uh, like phase out the competition and make sure they didn't become competitors. I mean, neither here nor there. But then you have the whistleblower, the former executive. Um, they were the ones she came out and was just like, they're making profit off of all of the negative hate. They're making profit off of all of this stuff. Obviously, they pulled their own plug. I mean, there was reports going around that like pieces of the code were missing, that Facebook would be gone forever. Honestly, I thought it was kind of refreshing not being on social media today. I mean, like I was pretty busy with work anyway, but it was like, wow, like people just need to relax. Then I thought of it on the other side. Facebook is truly a way to connect with people for the older generation. Like there's obviously a lot of misinformation going around, but in terms of like, Facebook and WhatsApp. It's like, that's people's like way of communication from like across the country and like older generations, like talking to people, like they might not understand their iPhone, but somehow they understand Facebook, right. And stuff like that. So, and then I also saw it of like all the businesses that were impacted by it, like, you know, restaurants promoting like what their specials are and what their restaurant is because they can't afford a website and, and Facebook's better or something like that, or the free option. Um, which is like their communication was like, wow, like this was a massive deal. And I don't think we're out of the woods yet of this complete outage. Yes, they came back the apps itself, but the repercussions and like the conversations that are going to happen because of this, I just don't, I think we'll be in for a long ride. So the rumors are the code has been restored at Facebook. Um, there was a time where people thought Facebook was gone just because they thought the code was gone. But I mean, actually, Facebook might not be fully recovered because we're searching beforehand for a couple of people and we got nothing, like no results in the search. Maybe it's not fixed, but kind of crazy how this went down. The, the Facebook employee who quits in May leaks an enormous amount of data to Wall Street Journal, reveals all the inner workings. Um, you know, has this whole theory on what Facebook uh, has done and, you know, all the bad, quote unquote, bad stuff they're doing. Um, yeah, you, you even mentioned in your blog, it was embraced algorithms that amplify hate speech, which is uh, not great. And then all of a sudden this shit goes down right after this woman goes on NBC or, uh, or CNBC. Yeah. That's like, that's like nuts. 
it's absolutely nuts. There's something up. And I think, um, you want my thoughts? I think anonymous or somebody else stepped in and said, fuck them. We don't like the, we don't like the abuse of power. Uh, Facebook is quote unquote, if these allegations are true, we're gonna, we're just gonna make them pay for it. And here you go. Oh, see, I think they pulled their own plug. So that's another, I that is a very interesting plug. take. And I, I get that too. It's like, they were getting so much speculation. It's like, you know, they wanted to take the attention off in a different light. And it's just like having them be out. I think they like in this outage, because there was reports that Facebook employees couldn't, you know, access their internal accounts and everything. It's like, I think they pulled the plug and like clear and like, you know, the one meme of a, of a SpongeBob in his mind when they like burn all the files, like that kind of stuff. They just like got rid of some incriminating evidence. So then when like further investigations come up, it's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's kind of nuts. And honestly, it's, it's I'm kind of going on that the stock was only down 5%. I agree. It should have been like, down. It was one of the worst days they've had trading in almost a year, but, and like that, you know, the year timeline comes about like the election time. So like that makes sense, but I expect, I anticipated to like completely tank. Right. And what's so weird and interesting about this whole thing is that this is like the one issue that politicians agree on. It's kind of wild because you have the top two tweets on this are from Alex Ocasio-Cortez, otherwise known as AOC, and Donald Trump Jr., and they're basically saying the same exact thing. Is that nuts? They'll they'll fight about it anyway, but yeah, I mean, Facebook, it's, what they're doing is not good, but it's like, I'm listening to, like, the way the politicians are, like, asking, like, they're in the lawsuit, and the clip came up a couple days ago. They're talking about Finstas, so like the fake instas, they're like, so you guys like allow people to do this. And it's like, well, Finstas is like a slang term, obviously, for like, you know, a smaller group and a private account and stuff. They're like, so you make Finstas. They're like, no, like younger generations make Finstas. They're like, well, why do you allow that? They're like, well, we're not censoring what people like post it. Well, they do, but they don't. It's like, it's a whole fine line, but like the congressman, like interviewing the person at, at the court case was like, why is Finsta's in your product suite? And it's like, yo, why are we having- that was, that, was, that was Dick Blumenthal from Connecticut. Yeah. And of course it was, he sucks yeah. not to get into politics, but he is objectively awful. Um, and he's like, but you aren't deleting Finsta's. You're not, is that a service that you offer? And she's like, like um, what are you talking about, buddy? <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Um, I don't know. This is not good. Um, If they pulled the plug, this is very bad, potentially treason. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Can you commit treason privately? Like, I'm not really sure how treason works. I'll I'll back up on that here. But I mean, it's, this isn't good. This is not good for the consumer. This is not good for businesses. I just think this is, one way or another, it is an abuse of power. Um, that's clearly what we're seeing today. Whether it's legal or not, we'll find out. But I don't know. I guess only time will tell. The movie's going to be real good about this one. <laughs> um, really weird day for tech, too. A lot of like applications going down. Twitter, you couldn't comment for a while. Um, yeah, so that's where it like strikes me. It's like maybe it was something else. But again, we are just another number and like we're not the fly on the wall knowing what's going on because um facebook only down five percent at the time of recording it could have a bad week it could rally but let's find out on a much lighter note hopefully the yankees are going to the wild card playoffs they will take on the fenway or they'll take on the red sox at fenway park on tuesday night um we have an excellent baseball guest for you guys today. Uh, very well known in the Yankees Twitter sphere. It's Nick Costanzo, uh, otherwise known as Stanzo on Twitter. You can find him usually uh, trolling Jared Carabas uh, on all of his tweets or starting shit with uh, Red Sox fans and actually providing some great Yankees analysis too. He's on with us to talk about what you should know for the wildcard game 
and some predictions. So let's hop into it. Here is Stanzo. All right, everybody with us this week, we got, we got the Yankees Red Sox wildcard game. You know, it is by the time this comes out, uh, people will be headed into the gates, but Nick Costanzo, also known as Stanzo, he's a Yankees contributor for the Bronx pinstripes, been big 10 basketball for uh TF front office. He's obviously a Rutgers alumni. We uh, have just learned, but we're talking Yankees baseball today. Stanzo very well known amongst Yankees, Twitter, uh, Great follow if you haven't followed him, and we'll plug him away at the end. But Stanzo, welcome on the pod, and uh, happy to have you on. Thank you. Appreciate the kind words. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, boys. So, I mean, we're obviously excited. It's, it's Yankees playoffs. It's, it's, it's playoff baseball. But, you know, before we hopped on the show, it's like, damn, like the wild card game is just a not – it's not a fun one. It's not a fun one. There's always the most pressure. It's like, it's when are you go home – Somehow it ended up to game 162. Obviously, those games in April and May mattered the most. And, uh, you know, the Yankees had such a tumultuous season, but they finished the season 92 and 70. Um, in a few sentences, how would you address the season thus far from your perspective? I mean, it, it was an absolute roller coaster. I got pretty mad because last week, I don't know if either of you guys picked up on this but yes was actually running a commercial like trying to sell tickets in september saying the yankees roller coaster season you got to be here it's like none of us want this like i wish this team just took care of their business a, a little bit more and they could at least be home for this game tomorrow you know if not challenging the Rays for the division i mean in all honesty it was, it was a disappointing year if you told me we were going to go 92 and 70 and finish uh, whatever uh, eight games out of the division you know that was not the ideal outcome but at the same time you know given how it started, especially the hole we put ourselves in, in the division, you know, against all our divisional rivals. Uh, I'm proud of how this team battled and at least put them in the position that they're in. So this was, I mean, you stole the words out of our mouth as a roller coaster. Um, people forget that the Yankees were so bad in April and in June too. They had losing records 12 and 14 in both of those months. Yep. I've, I've got my takes, but what do you think just made this team so bad so early to dig themselves into that hole? I mean, there's there's one place to put the blame, and it's still the biggest concern going to the postseason. It's the offense, right? I mean, you look at top to bottom, no one really had a good season offensively besides Judge and Stanton. You know, those two guys carried us. They carried us down the stretch now. Uh, they're going to need to carry us through the postseason. We're going to need to make any kind of run. I mean, the pitching staff has been fantastic. You know, the bullpen guys really stepping up despite Britain going down and, and not being effective, getting nothing out of O'Day and Wilson, our, our free agent relievers, you know, Chapman struggling from time to time, Green struggling from time to time. So the pitching staff has stepped up in a big way, you know, both the rotation and the bullpen, but this offense has just not been good. And, and I saw the take a lot on Yankees Twitter saying, oh, well, the offense has disappeared in the past couple postseasons. You know, yeah, that may be true. They've had their struggles, but they've ranked in the top five in pretty much any category, whether it be home runs, OPS, run scored, you name it, since 2017 up until this year. And they've really been right around league average, which is, you know, hard to win 92 baseball games, being a, a league average offense. So that's why you can, you know, that's where the blame is placed. It's, it's on the lineup and it's still my biggest concern going into tomorrow. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And it's like, you know, you talk about the offense and to a casual baseball fan, if you rattle off the names, Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, Anthony Rizzo, uh, Joey Gallo, Gary Sanchez, people are like, oh, that's a that's a wagon. That is an absolute wagon. And it's like for the everyday Yankee fan, it's like, well, you don't know what you're going to get out of majority of these guys. And, uh, you know, speaking of a roller coaster season, it's like, I think people forget that we started first base with we started the season at uh, with uh, Jay Bruce as the first baseman. That was a foreign memory for me too. It's like, holy come far away, but it's like, holy shit. Like we walked into that one uh, pretty bad. And that's the thing too, right? Like that's why it's so especially cruel having an 162 game season oh. come down to one game. You're so invested for, for so long. You know, that was literally six months ago. We were watching Jay Bruce play every day and you watch this team six, seven times a week and, you know, it comes down to one day. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. So nine days ago, or nine games ago, rather, it's like the Yankees were coming down to one of the toughest stretches in baseball, no matter you know what you look at it. It was three against the Sox, three against the Blue Jays, three against the Rays. What were your realistic expectations for this team coming out you know, from the beginning of that, uh, that mark to be like, okay, 
what do what what do you expect them to do? It's like, was it a couple wins? Was it, you know, what they did now? Like, what was your expectation? Right. So coming into this stretch, uh, you guys probably remember they had the Cleveland series. They lose two out of three. They get, you know, embarrassed in both of the last two games. Cole doesn't have it on Sunday. Um, and a lot of people, you know, myself included, I, I was not too high on their chances at that point. But at the same time, you know, this Yankee team, say what you want about how many times they've squandered a big game or had a bullpen blow up. They do always respond. So part of me was like, I don't, I could see them going three and six and being out of it altogether. I could see them ripping off the kind of run that they did. So I just wanted them to win every series, take two out of three. Uh, obviously they end up losing the series to Tampa, but they swept the Red Sox series. So they do go six and three, which is basically what I asked. So I, I was cool with that. Um, I know a lot of other people were, were pretty disappointed that they didn't end up getting the wild card game at home, which they could have done with one more win. Obviously that kind of sucks, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, they were in a position where they might miss the playoffs and they got themselves in. So I'll take that. I feel like on Sunday to the last regular season game, this is rare. And I don't think I've ever said this before, but Aaron Boone actually managed the game really well. Yeah. And oh. that had a streak to see that streak of, you know, great managing coming into the playoffs. You know, I'm pretty satisfied with that. For sure. And and I think that was really big to see too, for, you know, for a couple of reasons, uh, my biggest Aaron Boone gripe to this day. It's three years ago and I still won't let go of it because I was at the game is game three against the Red Sox in 2018 when he really just lets Seve keep going. He brings him back out. He lets him load the bases and he's got a loaded bullpen of, of rested David Robertson, Dylan Batances, Chad Green, Zach Britton. And he goes to Lance Lynn, who was, you know, our fifth starter converted to the bullpen and he, the game obviously blows up from there. So to see that kind of urgency in a playoff game was really concerning for me. He's been a lot better about it. You know, he pulled Paxton early in game two against the Astros in 2019. Uh, and then yesterday to, to see that, because I think people don't think urgency when it comes to Aaron Boone and the Yankees. And that's true. They have a lot of, you know, like this is our process. We're believing in, in the long run instead of every individual game. And I get that to a degree, but it was good to see yesterday where they really needed to win. Aaron Boone was proactive instead of reactive. So I think that's a good sign, hopefully, especially going into, you know, another must win tomorrow. And, you know, his proactivist was much needed because he didn't know what we were going to get out of Tyone. You know, the mm -hmm. three innings, he pitched well, but it's like, you know, he had that nice stretch back in early in the summer. And then obviously some injuries popped up at the very end. Um, you obviously need him healthy for those longer situations. If we get past obvious this wild card, um, but it does come down to the pitching, which, you know, brings up it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword for tomorrow, which is so scary. It's like, we have Garrett Cole on the mound. It's like, this is the white whale that they talked about when they first signed him, that ace, the, you know, possible Cy Young, whatever it might be, but his past couple starts have been pretty crappy, you know, to mm -hmm. say the least. It's like, what kind of leash would you put on Garrett Cole heading into tomorrow? I was just talking to, to my buddy, Rob, about this, who we do YouTube videos. So I, I think this is the key to the game tomorrow. I think it's what it's going to come down to. Uh, my only ask of Garrett Cole, realistically, give me five clean innings where you keep us in the game. I know that some people are probably going to say, oh, we pay him $36 million a year. You know, give me seven shutout and 10 strikeouts. I, I'm not asking for that. It's a, it's a tough ask. I don't care who you are. It's one game against a good team, a good lineup, a place he's struggled a little bit. I think this game is going to come down to how much rope do you give Garrett Cole, who, like I said, he, you know, you guys said he's an ace. He's one of the best pitchers in the sport at the same time has not looked himself since the hamstring injury a little under a month ago. And you have a bullpen right now that is a legitimate weapon. You're going seven, eight guys deep of, of guys that come in and are just absolute studs, whether it's Loisaga, you know, Chad Green looked better lately. Luis Severino is an absolute weapon. So it's going to be interesting to see at what point Aaron Boone deploys this bullpen. Do you give rope to a guy who's your ace and hasn't been looking so hot? Or do you go to a bullpen knowing that you're running the risk of, hey, if I, if I bring in five, six relievers, odds are maybe one of these guys is not going to have it. So I think that that's what the game is going to come down to. I like our chances if we can make it our bullpen against theirs, but it's a really interesting decision given all these circumstances. I don't really have a good answer for it, and I'm interested to see how Boone approaches it. So if you have to trot out the lineup tomorrow, you know, what, obviously you got to have Higgy in there, which really sucks. Mm -hmm. um, say what you want about their relationship and, you know, the fact that no one can catch Gary, but, or uh, no one can catch Gary Cole, but Kyle Higashioka for some reason, and Gary will probably be a DH or on the bench. Mm -hmm. So 
If you're Aaron Boone for a day, what team are you putting out there offensively? So I tweeted out my lineup prediction today, and I think it kind of is what I would do also. I, I like Glaber leading off. He's been swinging the bat a lot better since he came back to second base. I like having, you know, his pop at the top of the lineup. Uh, people were coming at me today saying, oh, he didn't have a good weekend. He was two for 11 and four strikeouts. Yeah, but if you look at it a little bit, you know, yesterday the offense was struggling. He had a single, he walked, and he actually had the fly ball that moved what ended up being the winning run into scoring position. Uh, he had a 10-pitch at bat against Bass to start the game on Saturday. So he, he's looked comfortable. I like him up there. Then I'll go Rizzo 2, Judge 3, Stanton 4, Gallo 5, Geo 6 at third base. I don't want him playing shortstop when he's banged up, even though I'd rather have Odor's bat in the lineup. Odor at third base already scares me. And then you throw in a banged up geo and as your left side of the infield, I, I don't want that being the scenario in a one game spot. Maybe if we get to the division series, talk about it, then I'll go Guardy seven, uh, Higgy eight and squid nine, just cause I don't think they would start Wade. I think they like him off the bench, the pinch runner. So I, that's my guess for the nine they're going to roll out. And I think that I would have to agree with them and do the same. Yeah. So then you have T Wade off the bench as your pinch runner. And then Gary is your, your, you know, pinch hitter in any leverage situation going going um if they need the run but yeah no I, i'm pretty hey, Tom, I'm, off that before you switch off that you know you have gary off the bench and you can even use you can even put him into the game and like absolutely. the sixth inning if gary cole's yeah. out i think we do see gary come in as i think uh boone had even said today that they expect to use him as a hitter off the bench the only scenario where i wouldn't is if you know if is if Higgy comes up and it's Darwin's and Hernandez or one of their other lefties out of the pen in the game because Higgy does hit lefties better but yeah no if there's any kind of big spot late I wouldn't be surprised if they go to Gary rather early once cold out of the game mm -hmm. and it's just the way the season goes for the Yankees it's like there's always some big bats uh hurt right now with Luke Voigt on the IL I don't think we'll see him if the uh, playoff run goes further and we might not see him again in the Yankee uniform um obviously there's no prediction for that and then of course DJ LeMahieu, I thought they were going to, uh, you know, just rest him a couple days, but straight for the IL. So he, I'm, I don't know if my math's right, but I guess maybe uh, towards the end of the divisional series, if that happens, maybe ALCS. I mean, but I don't even want to talk that far ahead. Yeah, no, we'll see. They had said DJ, it could potentially be a factor for an ALCS, but I mean, obviously there's a lot that needs to happen between now and then to even have that conversation. Right. And, and yeah, Go ahead. No, just it's just from when the season started and, you know, this offseason and then the trade deadline, it's like and the 13 game win streak and all of this stuff. It's like, oh, when they make the ALCS. Now it's more of a if they get past tomorrow. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, listen, the, for everything that's happened this year, all the bullpen blow ups, you know, all, how terrible I've said the offense has been, you know, literally. 70% of the lineup having down years, you know, all that stuff. They have an opportunity in front of them where I, you know, they're, they're beatable teams. There is no American league juggernaut walking through that door that I don't think the Yankees playing their best baseball are incapable of beating. You know, they have a chance to avenge probably their three biggest rivals and the teams that have knocked them out of the last four postseasons in, in the, the Red Sox, they would face the Rays. And then I fully anticipate them playing the Astros. So it's, it's a lot. Nothing's guaranteed. Their season could end tomorrow or, you know, they could they could really flip the script on what's been mostly a, a nightmarish season and, you know, and, and win all of our all of our hearts back over again. So we have this doom and gloom approach of the season, but there's actually been some good, which is, mm -hmm. you know, a, a welcome sign. We'll talk about the acquisitions first. Uh, dime a dozen this summer. They went out and and cleared the farm system out. Well, not even necessarily, but they they made the right moves to get the the, the tools that they need. Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo, uh, Clay Holmes has been a really pleasant surprise as well. So obviously you probably have to assess the offseason or excuse me, the summer pretty well, right before the trade deadline. Um, who do you think's making the biggest impact right now out of that new acquisition crew? I mean, it's tough, right? I mean, all, all the names you said are so key. I mean, Brian Cashman, you know, I'll rip on him from time to time. And I think the biggest thing with him is that he hasn't been able to consistently build a rotation for us. Um, but if, if you look at what he's done, you know, from, from April 1st on, it, it's been absolutely incredible. I mean, I mentioned earlier on how the bullpen was a letdown, but whether it be Chapman and Green's inconsistencies, getting nothing from Britain, O'Day or Wilson, 
he goes out, he, he adds a Lucas Lickie in spring training who has been big for us. He adds Wandy Peralta and Clay Holmes, who were two trades that, you know, a lot of Yankees Twitter didn't like getting rid of Mike Talkman and Hoy Park, who both have floundered with their new teams, whereas Peralta and Holmes are pitching high leverage innings for us. You know, being able to, to just kind of fix the bullpen on a dime was incredible. And then admitting finally his mistake and saying, you know what, I, I do need to add some lineup balance. You know, bringing in an Anthony Rizzo, who's who's a leader in the clubhouse, and then Joey Gallo, who I know, I know has not been necessarily all that effective here. But even if you go back and look at one of those games against the Red Sox, oh, this was the the day game of the doubleheader that Loizaga almost blew in the seventh, where it forced Alex Cora to bring in a lefty to face to Gallo, which in turn he ended up having to face Stanton and Boyd who got the game tying and, and go ahead hits. So I, I just having that lineup balance that we didn't have on opening day, that's big too. So I guess if I had to pick one guy, it would probably be Rizzo, but just overall as a whole, what Brian Cashman was able to do just kind of transforming this team in a way, you know, and, and fixing some of their flaws has really just been impressive. And with all the good, there's obviously the bad with uh, the acquisition of Andrew Heaney. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, it'll be under control for, I don't know. I think like one, maybe two more years, but maybe uh, Matt Blake will, you know, do some magic in Tim uh, last year. But yeah, you, you talk about Yankees Twitter roasting people and you're obviously one of the uh, forefronts for it. Um, what, what would you say Yankees Twitter? I don't even know how to like the, the phrase, the question is just like the, the, the vibe for Yankees Twitter tomorrow. What do you think people are going to say? What do you people um are just going to anticipate for the game itself I I think that there's going to be an overwhelming desire to blame Aaron Boone if anything goes wrong or something like I I'm far from a Boone guy but at the same time I think it's hilarious when in certain games you know it you bring in Jonathan Loisega or Chad Green into a game and they might not have their stuff and people blame Aaron Boone it's like well you have a late lead and you're going to go to one of your better relievers they're not always going to have it so I, I I just find it funny how it's just overwhelmingly people look to pin the blame on one person I, I think people are going to be nervous I think people are going to be very reactionary I think it's just important for the Yankees to just come out and, and really not shit the bed early you know I don't want to go down three nothing in the first inning of a wild card game again you know so hopefully you know if we're lucky we could jump on a Valdi like we did last time you know a nice little bloop and Aaron Judge blast to kind of ease us a little bit would be cool, but uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be nerve wracking as it, as it should be. It's, I mean, there's no secret that there's been way too many nerve wracking playoff moments, let alone mm-hmm. just wild card. But yep. um, Dan Rourke today from John Boy Media posted a thread. We were talking about this before we went uh, on here on Zoom of the top 10 Yankees wild card moments. And they trigger some good memories, but they're also like just anxiety ridden too. You're like, oh my God, I remember where I was when I was watching that and I wanted to punch something. So are there any moments that do stick out for you as like, that was a sick moment in the wild card history? You know, what stands out? Oh, I mean, it has to be Dee. I, I mean, looking back at that, uh, I, I like, it's not an unpopular opinion. I like everyone loved that 2017 team and I was just not ready for them to, have their season end at the hands of the Minnesota twins and one game, even though I didn't think at the time they even had a chance to, to beat the Indians or much less push the Astros to a seventh game, but going down three, nothing in the first watching Seve only get one out after the year he had, that was just kind of crushing, uh, you know, living in school with a bunch of people who just you know, also were just not Yankee fans and love to see, you know, my misery and then having Didi come and hit that home run was crazy. So that's, that like in all time is just one of my favorite Yankee moments, just for how low I was to immediately just bring you back into the game. Um, but I mean, there's a lot, uh, the, the wild card games have, you know, saved for 2015 have all been entertaining, but again, I don't, I can't say I particularly enjoy them. It's just more of a sense of relief that you get through them instead of actually having a good time. I think for me, what stands out is that is actually Brett Gardner's go ahead uh, mm-hmm. homer to that. It was like one of the most clutch moments he's had in pinstripes, believe it or not. Yeah. There've been a lot of them too. Mm-hmm. And that certainly stands out for, for me. I don't know if you had anything, Will, that comes to mind. Uh, both of those moments are just like burned in my brain though. I mean, obviously the DD home run that you just mentioned, that one is just like the roar in the crowd, the call and everything. Uh, Luis Severino getting out of the jam. I believe it was against 
Oakland. Uh, Oakland, Oakland, yeah. Oakland. Mm -hmm. That was obviously a big one. Um, I mean, it did result in the loss in 2015, but Tanaka, uh, Tanaka just had some nice gems in that pitching, uh, pitching bout. I think they're all just nostalgic because it's like those were the guys you love the most, like the Didis, the Tanakas. It's like they just had that character on the team where it's like, it sucks to see them not on the team any longer where it's like, Oh, I wish it was more of these Aaron judge moments or John Carlos Stanton moments, like people that you're currently rooting for. I think that makes it a little bit more sweeter where it's like, damn, like Didi Gregor is, you know, we kind of brush him away after his injury. And like, obviously everything happens for a reason. The team's formed around, but like how nice it would have been just to have his lefty bat and defense at shortstop, like this whole season. Yeah, and I think where that really stings, too, is just after 2017, like the way that season went down where it was like they weren't even supposed to make the playoffs. They get within one game of a World Series, and it was just an overwhelming, you know, not if, but when this team will win a championship. You know, there were a lot of comparisons drawn to, oh, you know, this is like in, how in 95 they lost that crazy series to the Mariners, and they came back and won, you know, the next year and four out of the next five and everything that's been happening since just shows you, you can't squander any kind of opportunities. You know, they haven't even gotten back to a game seven, let alone win a pennant. So it sucks to think that, you know, guys like Didi and Tanaka who were fan favorites, uh, you know, never ended up winning a ring here, but you know, that's why you just got to hope that, you know, within these next couple of years, you know, you don't want it to be, Oh, it sucks that Aaron judge never won a, a ring. It sucks that Garrett Cole never won a ring. So it's just, just things you don't really want to think about. So hopefully, you know, hopefully either this is the year or, or soon. Cause I'm getting pretty, pretty tired of waiting. Mm -hmm. I'm getting pissed off and, yeah. and all that. Um, but in terms of, you know, obviously I don't want to jump the gun too much, but it's like, we do got to talk about, uh, you know, this winter and everything. It's like, is there anything in your mind or like, I wouldn't necessarily say a wish list, but like, is there any players that you 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 have an interest in, uh, possibly in free agency or any guys on the team currently that you can imagine them not no longer being a Yankee? Is there any players or uh, moves that you would like or would not like to be made? I, I really do want to extend Judge. I think that that's got to be number one. Uh, people talk about like numbers and length. I really think that they'll be able to come to an agreement. I think the guy wants to be a Yankee. I think he knows that he's better off taking some sort of, you know, maybe a little bit of a team friendly deal, staying in New York, being one of the faces of baseball, you know, having the, the Pepsi sponsorships and all that, instead of going, you know, somewhere else where maybe he gets a little bit bigger of a contract thrown at him. I, I, I do think the Yankees get that done because he's been so good. And I mean, this year is huge for him too, just to, you know, played 148 games, even with, you know, the, the 10 day COVID IL stint. Uh, so just awesome for him, you know, hopefully he can you know, continue to replicate that. Uh, so I think that that's gotta be number one. And then past that, I, I, I do want to see whether or not they go out and get a shortstop. Uh, I know Corey Seager is the, is the hot name. Just he's a lefty bat. Obviously he had, you know, huge playoffs last year. I'd be happy with that unpopular opinion i think carlos correa here would be electric i fucking hate the guy but i think there's something very evil empire ish about going and getting your biggest rivals best player and putting them in pinstripes you know, especially you look at the guy the guy's 26 27 putting together a career year he's an absolute freak of an athlete at shortstop and then i think with either of those guys you hope that you know if volpe or peraza turns into the kind of players we hope they would be then they end up moving over to third base in a couple of years so I think that judge is priority number one. And if they are players in the shortstop market, I would love to go get one of those two guys. Yeah. And Korea pains me to say it. It'd be pretty good. It would be pretty good. And that's indirectly what they, they almost did that with, I, I think of A-Rod when you say like an evil empire kind of deal, like A-Rod was one of the most hated people in sports at that point with the Texas Rangers and his name's tied to the Red Sox all this time. So as Brian Cashman do it, just says, fuck it. I'm just going to go trade for him, you know, mm -hmm. put him on my squad. So mm -hmm. I kind of get that. Um, but you talk yeah. about now adding that shortstop. It's like, what does the shuffle mean around the infield? So I, I think that at this point, they've, they've shown you and legitimately said it out loud that Glaber is a second baseman. I'm, I'm a big Glaber fan this year. These has really kind of hurt me. I do think with him though, a lot of it's between the ears. I think, you know, you look at, what was his scouting report coming up? He's a great hitter, line drive hitter, not committed a ton of homers. Well, he comes up with the balls juiced, hits 62 homers in his first two seasons. And I think that kind of threw off his 
approach a little bit. Now the balls are dejuiced. The power's not there as much anymore. So, you know, plus shortstop weighing on his mind, which clearly I, I would think wouldn't make an impact. But when you look at how much better he's been since he's come off shortstop, it clearly does. So I think Glaber's your second baseman. Uh, and then you figure it out from there. You know, DJ's here for five years. So I don't know if you move him over to first and let Rizzo walk. I'd rather keep Rizzo around, throw DJ at third. And as much as, you know, it would pay me to say, I do think moving Geo could be the smart move. But, but I mean, we'll see. I mean, it, it, what's going to happen is they're going to bring in a shortstop, whether it's a one of the big name guys or, or a stopgap guy until Volpe or Peraza gets up here. I don't know. And then it's DJ at first or third, Glaber at second. And then you got to fill one more of those spots somehow. You had a pretty hot take on Twitter today. You said, I truly believe Tanaka will be a Yankee next season too. Could that be another addition that is like realistically explored? Or are we just shooting bullets here? Uh, no, I, I do because I think that with Tanaka last year, I think he would have been back if they didn't have the mandate to stay under 210. And I think the way that Cashman looked at it was, I can either have Kluber and Tyone and get two starters or I can have Tanaka back. And I think that in, in his head, it was just like, you know what, I'm going to see if I can catch lightning in a bottle with Kluber a little bit, you know, at, you know, a guy who was a multi-time Cy Young winner, you're getting him for a little over 10 million. They knew Tyone, you know, had an ability to be a, a frontline starter as well. Um, I think Tanaka just didn't fit in financially, you know, and the fact that he went back to Japan rather than staying here and signing with somewhere else, I, I do think that he would want to come back and be a Yankee again. He's still tight with Cole. He's still tight with Seve, all the guys. So I would not be surprised at all if Masahiro Tanaka is back next year. I'll, I, I love the take. I love the take. I am all for it. I am 100% for that. Mm -hmm. So while we have you on, you mean, you know, how did you, you said you went to Rutgers, you're obviously, you know, you do a lot in the content world, especially with Yankees Twitter, but what was your introduction into the scene and, you know, what kind of content are you creating currently? Uh, so for me, it's just always about having fun. I mean, none of this is like my real job. Like obviously I, I work a nine to five, but my life is sports. And for me, it's just, you know, I, I like to voice my opinions. I like to hear other people's opinions, have discussions. I've been big into Twitter for as long as I can remember. And I kind of took that into blogging a little bit just because sometimes, you know, it's not enough to articulate your opinions in, in a tweet or a thread of tweets. So I uh, started my own blog. Then last year, a little bit before the season, uh, I hit up Andrew Rotondi, who's one of the head guys at Bronx Pinstripes, uh, showed him my stuff and he offered me to come write for him. So I blog there just about once a week, just, you know, anything Yankees related. Uh, and then my friend Rob and I have been making videos uh, we just do like a weekly baseball show, just kind of shooting the ship, talk Yankees, Mets mostly, and then whatever else has gone on around the league. So it, it's just to have fun for me. Uh, I mean, I feel like you just have to kind of enjoy whatever you're doing, not take yourself too seriously. But uh, I do I do really appreciate just kind of interacting with, you know, everyone on Twitter, especially, and whoever else just reads my stuff or whatever. I don't care if they love it, hate it. Anyone taking the time to just like read it and have an opinion on it is just awesome for me. So we might as well wrap up with some score predictions. Okay. This, I haven't put zero thought into this, so this will be interesting to come up on the fly. Stanza, we'll start with you. So Rob and I did our score predictions like an hour ago. I, I said 6-5 Yankees. Uh, I do think anything can happen, but I think my prediction is the Red Sox go up early, not big, maybe, maybe a run or two. They get to Cole a little bit, but he keeps it close. Uh, then I have the Yankees taking the lead back in the middle innings off the Red Sox bullpen. And then we hand a 6-4 lead to Chapman in the ninth. He gives up one run and then recovers to close it out. So that's my that's my prediction. It's very well thought out. I like how you built I, I just I'm just kind of just taking the cue cards of what we've seen happen already this year. So that's just kind of that's just kind of my guess. Yeah, I mean the predictions are always tough, especially I was at the um, Domingo Herman uh almost no hitter game oh and no. that completely imploded so like my taste of Fenway right now is just a not not a pretty one I mean although we just had the sweep over the last weekend but I do think the, the Yankees win this I think that even if like the craziness of the game 163 and 163 and 164 happened I think it was a smart choice for them to say Red Sox over the Blue Jays because that's a team that is going to be an Achilles heel for years to come. Yeah. And that's a conversation we'll have to have you back on when the season starts up next. But I'm going to go 
five, four Yanks, five, four Yanks, similar situation. They get to Cole a little bit early. They take over that lead. I think Aaron judge comes in with a big hit. I think even one of the new guys, whether it's Rizzo or uh, Gallo um, really has a Yankee moment tomorrow as well. So uh, I'll go with the, the Yankees by one. I'll finish it out a, a kind of – I'm going a little bit different here. I'm going to say 4-2. Yankees are going to win 4-2 out of there. I, I still do think the Sox will get to Cole early. Again, you know, that's a common theme here. It's like let the – if they score the runs in the first or second inning, you know, I, I'm going to say it's two. Um, let them settle in afterwards. You know, that, that's not the most alarming thing in the world. It's really not. If Garrett Cole gives up a couple of runs, inning one, inning two, every, I can't wait for the Sox fans going like, oh, my God, Garrett Cole, this is your Cy Young, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And we'll have that. We'll have, you know, maybe a 2 nothing for a while. And then uh, Evaldi maybe, you know, starts to up that pitch count. Starts to start missing guys high or, you know, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, Cora's going to yank them, go to the pen, and we're just going to fuck on them the rest you of the think, game. Uh, you think Chris Sale hops in? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I, I saw a tweet before this that said uh, Sale went to Cora's office and asked him to pitch tomorrow, and he said no. I don't know if that means he asked him to start or asked him to be available out of the pen, but regardless, I, I don't – think that they're going to go that way but i mean who, who knows i really don't let's I hope they have a i actually will be surprised if he pitches tomorrow yeah i, was I would lean it's... towards him not but i could also see alex core he's the kind of rat fuck that will be like oh i'm not going to tip my hand and think that he's just coming at you with something crazy that is bring chris sale into the game so i i don't know who knows yeah hopefully Adovino can give us a little love and uh you know throw a couple right across the middle for standing would be nice would that be might nice. be the best trade all year it might be. <laughs> it's been the long game. Mm-hmm. Yep. Listen, they have one reliever I'm afraid of. It's Garrett Whitlock. Other than that, I, I think that we can hit any, not that we can't hit Whitlock, but he's, he's the one guy where I, I legitimately would be surprised if we scored off of him. Everyone yeah, if, else, they get, if they get solid innings from him, this might become a little bit more uh, like an oh shit moment, but mm-hmm. uh, on par for the course, as we know, with the Yankees over the last couple of years, they've overcome shit moments. They've had, been on the other side of it for plenty of it uh so buckle up this will be fun uh eight o'clock tonight when this airs um you know we'll we'll declare a winner so stanzo thanks so much for joining us and breaking down the wild card and the yankee season to date uh where can our listeners find you and where can they engage with some of the stuff that you're working on Boys, thank you for having me. Um, so you could find me on Twitter at Encostanzo24. I post all my stuff on there. So my bio is the link for Bronx Pinstripes, where my Yankees blogs are, the front office. That's my Rutgers basketball and Big Ten basketball stuff be coming up in a couple weeks here. Uh, and then also a link to my YouTube, where Rob and I host our weekly baseball show. So anything there, just find me on Twitter first, Encostanzo24. Awesome. Stando, we appreciate it. Uh, let's go Yanks. Let's uh, let's let's hope the season doesn't end tomorrow. I think we've 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 been through enough heartache and enough bullshit this year to uh, you know get a get at least one Yankees win and then get disappointed uh, in the ALDS. But thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Boys, thanks for having me. Let's go Yankees. Let's go Yanks. And that was just Stanzo of Bronx Pinstripes Yankee Twitter, one of the forefronts of that. Let's hope. Uh, this interview brings some good luck to uh, the Yanks as they head over to Fenway. I don't really know. I really don't know. It's one of those times where it's like in years past, you head into the wild card. It's like, you don't love it, but it's like, you still feel good playing the twins or the A's, you know, heading to Fenway. I mean, we just swept them a couple, couple week or a weekend or two ago. It's like, you got to feel good, but it's still not a settling feeling. I am right with you. I'm terrified. I cannot wait till it's over. Um, yeah, I just want this to be over so badly. I want to know. Garrett Cole went on the went on the press conference and he's like, I just like, you know, can we get on with this already? And I totally agree with him. And on a related note, I felt the exact same way on Sunday night football. Tom Brady and Mac Jones faced off. Tom Brady comes back to New England. The Pats are beating him. He leads his team down the field. They score a field goal, and Nick Folk fucking doinks it off the left post, and that's how the game ends. Um, that was one of those games that I 
was miserable. I was miserable the whole time. That's my hot take. Um, I did not enjoy a second of that. It was nice to see Tom Brady come back. It was an excellent football game, but my heart was getting strung both sides. I did not know who to root for when it was appropriate to cheer. All I do know is that I gasped out loud when Nick Folk missed that 56 yard field goal. Uh, what a game. I think everyone in that stadium and watching whether, you know, they're wearing a Pats jersey, a Bucks jersey, one of those 50-50 ones with Tom Brady split. They knew once Tom Brady had the ball, closing drive, it, that was it. That was it. Um, you know, I will give props, you know, Mac Jones, he, he, he stepped up. I mean, you, you couldn't have asked for a better game from him with all the pressure and all the bullshit coming into the week. I mean, I cannot imagine how many questions he got asked about Tom Brady and how many comments. And it's like, he's the heir to the throne and everyone's, you know, raving about him. But this was, a, this was arguably the biggest game in his career. And he played in a national championship at Alabama. It's like, yeah. this game was like, he just needed to show up. And it's like, you know what? The Patriots as a whole showed up. It's like they got to Tom Brady. It wasn't like a huge, it wasn't like a high scoring game. I mean, I thought we talked about it last week. I thought Tom Brady was going to throw at least four or five touchdowns. You said six. You said six. I'm on the record as six or seven, actually. It's like, um, it, it just, it was not there. I mean, that's a tough environment to be in. The conditions were obviously shitty, but you know, the Bucks won it you know, you get still got to give it to Mac Jones. It's like, he, he, he kept his own, he held his own, but what a game. That was a, that was a good football game. And uh, Nick Fork doinked it at the end. I can't believe that. And I I'm happy for him. You said arguably the biggest game of his career. No, there's, I mean, there's no question. You have to go against the greatest of all time in the place that he had all of his accomplishments. I mean, that's, and then you go out and you arguably play better than him. That's, a really good thing to put in the feather. Uh, it's a feather to put in your cap, basically. And I'm pretty excited. Uh, the Pats are one and three. They play the Texans next week. It's like, all right, just fucking take out all your frustration on this god-awful defense. I hope I don't get bit in the ass for saying that and that I'm reviewing a Pats loss to go one and four, but I I have the utmost confidence in this kid now. I mean, so. you got to be confident with the Texans where it's like they just got pieced by the Bills 40 nothing. But, again, I hate those games where you come in and it's like everyone votes them. I mean, we just saw the Jets beat the Titans in overtime. You really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's what, you know, I had next on the list here. Let's go over our locks of the week. You know, the Bucks was mine. Uh, they They took us all for a ride. Um, and then you had the Titans over the Jets, and I think you were probably one of like 99% of America that bet on the Titans. And how the fuck did the Jets win an overtime at home against the Titans? That's nuts. I mean, yes, not having Julio Jones and A.J. Brown is obviously like, those are your, those are your, your wide receiver one and two. It's like, that's a lot to ask for Derrick Henry, but like the Jets the past three weeks that they were just garbage that they just did not have a competent offensive line or anything really and Zach Wilson was on a bus alert but you know they showed up they they woke up the Titans man Mike Rabel it has to be on the hot seat because every year I feel like he loses games that just should not be lost not even talking records and playoffs and stuff I feel like every year with him as the coach there's always like a game or two. It's like, you really lost that. You guys really lost to the Jets in overtime, the winless Jets. Like, come on. The goddamn Jets. The goddamn Jets. This um, supposed to be a lot. Yeah, that was kind of a, it was not really a weird, yeah, you know what, I guess it was a weird week for, because the Giants won, they both somehow, uh, the two, <laughs> the two New York teams that combined for 0-6 on the year, they go 2-0 and this weekend, um, that's a surprise, Clubfoot Jim's lock of the week was the Saints, he called them a good football team and called the Giants a bad football team, and somehow this bad football team wins at the dome wild 
I did not, I really, you know what? And like, I was a pessimist the week before. It's like they played God awful against the Falcons. And it's like, they, I know that game was close, but I had no hope or anything. I mean, they just lost Blake Martinez. They lost two starting O-linemen, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slade in and out. Like this team was just deflated, but somehow Daniel Jones, another clean game, uh, over 400 yards. He had one interception, but it was a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. It's like, I don't even count those. And that was his first interception in four games all season. You know, it's like um, they finally unlocked Kadarius Toney, the first round pick out of Florida. He is shifty. He is a deep threat. They finally, you know, John Ross came back. He had a couple of huge plays. Uh, Kenny Galladay is the guy that we paid for. Saquon Barkley did it on both sides of the field. They took a page out of the Saints playbook. And I've been saying this for years now. It's like, use Saquon as an Alvin Kamara. It's like, if the offensive line cannot generate the run game, you know, I'm okay with Saquon Barkley getting anywhere from 40 to 60 yards rushing if he's receiving almost 100 yards. And he had two touchdowns, you know, rushing for one and catching the other. But it was a good overall win. I mean, they exploited the Saints defense. Our defense held its own. Um, I was very happy and very impressed. Got the first one out of the way. And now they head to Dallas for a, a big uh, NFC East rivalry. Yeah. I. <sighs> this is just so like I'm frustrated because I had a good, I had a pretty good week at the kiosk, humble brag, um, or on the app, I should say, um, you know, very three simple win bets. They were all money lines. Um, all of them, except the bucks at minus minus one twenty-five, which I'm proud of myself for, um, were underdogs. So it's those things that like, I didn't put any thought into it. I'm just like, Oh fuck, that looks good. And then we, you and I, I sit behind computers and analyze all this shit trying to figure out who's going to cover the spread and it goes to nothing. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was very happy. I, you know, I hit the Ravens as plus one. I thought that was a no brainer. I'm like the Broncos have, the Broncos have had a Mickey mouse schedule. Um, I don't think that, I think the Ravens are obviously a better ball team, a ball, uh, a better team as a whole. So it's like, that was a no brainer for me. Um, you know, for the pickums and stuff, I picked the Saints, but I always put in a bet for the Giants. So that was obviously a nice little win. Got the Pats under 19 points um, for the alt line. That was a good one. And uh, there was another one. Oh, Cardinals plus five and a half. Easy money. Easy. Huh. I was like, I didn't think they were going to win, you know, triumphantly, but I was like, I think they cover a touchdown. I think it comes close. I am now just a quick pick them update. I'm now in 10th place. Um, I'm right behind Clubfoot Jim, one point. I'm right behind you with two points. I'm like, I don't know anymore. <laughs> I'm just taking shots in the dark because I'm like, all right, this team can cover. This team might not. Um, I had a bad couple of weeks in pick them. So not fun. Uh, I'll try to be better, which means I guess put less thought into it. So we'll find out. Um, that's all we've got. Anything else for sports? I mean, it's – we set our predictions. They are what they are. It's out of our hands now. I mean, the Yankees just have to go and execute. And if they don't, uh, I won't be surprised. But if they do, I won't be surprised either. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's like I, I feel okay with Garrett Cole on the mound. Obviously, he's your ace. He's your guy. Um, they had – like, again, nine games ago was a telling tale of – what this team was going to do. And it's like, honestly, you know, that you sweep the Red Sox, you take two out of three from the Blue Jays. And like the third, the game that they lost was a close one. And, you know, chalk up the 12-2, 12-4, whatever the hell it was against the Rays. That was just, you know what, wash that out of the memory. They lost 4-3 to the Rays in the first game and they beat them one nothing in the last game. It's like, they're playing competitive baseball. Um, it's up to the offense. It really is up to the offense because even if Garrett Cole doesn't do well, we have a bullpen ready to roll. Luis Severino hasn't had an earned run since returning to the IL. Uh, Chad Green's back up to speed. Or all this Chapman is playing at his, you know, all-star potential. Uh, Wandy Peralta, Clay Holmes, Jonathan Luizka, Lucas Lucky. It's like they are ready. They're built for 
you know, they, they're built for these moments. Um, it's up to, you know, the Boone, Boone managing the right game and the offense just to put some, you know, put some balls into play. So I'm hoping for another standing home run over the monster. I'm hoping for the lefties to, you know, eat up that right field as well. Um, let's just hope. Let's just hope. I, yep, it's all we can do. Um, wear my Yankee shirt and we'll see what happens. Uh, hope you're in the ballpark tomorrow. I can't be, but that'd be sick. Uh, we'll finish with a positivity corner and we will get on our merry way. Yeah, so another one coming from Good, Move, Good News Movement. Uh, this man left his 40-year-long career from another airline to join Air Asia and fly as a junior just so he could fly with his two daughters who are both pilots. He wants to spend his remaining years as a pilot by his daughter's side. Uh, this was come from a little while back, but they just reposted this. Uh, I think it's just a cool story. So Sophia Aniza is a 23-year-old uh, pilot. She's obviously, um, you know, just recently became the pilot, but her dad was working for a company for nearly four decades and instead of you know sticking around the end of his career there he joined just to be the co-pilot um and spend time with his daughters on these cross flight these cross international flights uh, i think that's just a cool one always good to see stuff like that like the family bonds and following into someone's footsteps like that but that was uh that one made me smile that's another that's a really good one i didn't expect um you know a pilot to be the feature but you know again those are like you know, pilots are really good people. <laughs> they are. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I just, every time we do this segment, um, you know, you're surprised by, you know, you're surprised by the good acts uh, that people have. A lot of them involve dogs, as we know, a lot of them involved, uh, you know, people in, in tough communities, but, you know, we're, we're happy to, uh, to share those stories that need to be shared, of course. That'll do it for episode 64. Uh, we are on all major podcast platforms, um, and please go and buy some merch if you'd like. Uh, Bronxy the Turtle, that's a really cool new design that you came up with, uh, and Baby Blue, I might actually go buy that. Um, yeah, merch is fully going. We've got some new beers coming out we'll tell you about in the coming weeks. Um, that's about it for us. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long. Take it easy. Take it easy.